Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. Whatever your limits are today, let's just plan on kissing them goodbye, at least the beginning of kissing them goodbye, because you're going to be talking to Dan Millman, who understands limits and who also understands what it's like to just make them fly away. And his whole purpose in his latest book that we're covering today is Four Purposes of Life. His whole purpose is to help us all go way beyond the limits we've adopted as our small identity. Dan Millman, welcome so much. Thrilled to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Carol. Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. I loved your introduction and thinking inside and outside the box. We're certainly going to be both places today. I, I love to run laps around the box. So, Oh, absolutely you do. You know, the four purposes of yep. life, which I just digested with such glee and such enjoyment as I think the seventh book of yours that I have read, because it does, it brings people right into their box where they live and moves them slightly to the side of it, and then slightly outside some more, and then as you get all the way to the epilogue, you're like outside your box. And this is a beautiful Mm -hmm. way to bring people into their power. And for me, you're all about moving us into ever yet our greater power. Let's start off with the talking about personal power. That's the question. Well, <laughs> yes, yeah. I think I think power. You know, while we're using some alliteration, power is related to presence and purpose. Um, you know, Lily Tomlin, the actress, once said, "I always wanted to be somebody, but maybe I should have been more specific." <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I think um, what I, the reason I wrote the Four Purposes of Life is to help people be more specific to better understand what they're doing here in daily life and what they're here to do, which sometimes escapes our notice. We get tunnel vision and lost and just doing one thing after the next, daily life, and we can lose sight of the bigger picture. So that's why I wanted to propose this whole idea of purpose. Um, I used to think what we really wanted, no matter what we thought we wanted, it all came down to happiness. But Mm. now I'm really thinking more we're looking for meaning that our lives count for something and and um, and direction connection with ourselves and others but also that sense of purpose and in fact a story I tell from the peaceful warrior movie um, there's a point at which my character Dan realizes you know he says to Socrates my old mentor he says um, it's the journey that makes us happy, not the destination. Well, that may be true. It's a nice reminder. But without a destination in mind, there is no purpose. We just wander around. So to our point A, we need a point B. I would define success as moving toward a meaningful goal. That's it. I didn't say reaching it. Mm. Just moving toward a meaningful goal. Those of us who are doing it are doing just that, have that sense of focus, absorption, in the zone, in the flow. 
Um, so I think, you know, we're hardwired to be goal seekers. Even the little babies crawling across the floor looking for, toward a shiny object have a purpose in mind. In fact, in the opening epigraph in The Four Purposes of Life, Robert Byrne writes, um, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. Mm, yes. Absolutely. You know, so then it, 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 I, I was thinking, you know, I'm a, a clinical psychologist, and so, of course, I'm going to go mm-hmm. to all the research and the paradigms that greet, greet sure. that. And I know you have a psychology degree as well. And, and you look at the various phases of life. Uh, I'm 60 years old, so I'm entering into a different phase. I'm about to be an empty nester, again, a different phase. So the whole idea of life having different phases where different things matter, different purposes are the focus, and you have this 68 years, at least on the last interview that I knew, a perspective about the different purposes and meaningfulness you had throughout your life. Uh, Can you say that it's changed? Can you trace the development of your own progress in that regard? Well, I can, but I, I can say this: I, I've I've lived, uh, even though they're they're not a clear cut distinction. I've lived more out of my right brain, I think, than my left hemisphere. I, I haven't oh, lived life. Stra- <laughs> I haven't lived life strategically. It's more been improvisational. I just followed my heart from the time I started jumping on a trampoline as a kid. Uh, I never thought just liking to jump up and down and try somersaults and, on the trampoline would lead to a coaching job at Stanford University, a college professorship in Ohio. I just never had, you know, obviously a clue about that. So I can't look back like a menu and say point A, point B. I do know that different cultures do have that sense of phases of our life. In the Indian, the Hindu tradition, the first phase, the first third of life is all about education and prep, preparing ourselves, developing a foundation. The second phase of life is raising a family, uh, you know, mating, raising a family if someone is called to that, and a career, and being in the world and making a contribution. But the last third of life um, in that tradition is looking at life's bigger picture, more of an internalized spiritual quest. Now, it doesn't always happen in that order, of course. There are many young people really looking for that sense, that bigger picture sense. But I would agree with you, this idea of phases helps us again to understand what what we're doing and what our lives are about. And and that's, you know, I asked myself, well, what is the purpose of life? And it, four things came up, and it seemed to encompass um, a lot of what we human beings are doing here. And of course, in the epilogue to the book, I also relate to what I call our spiritual purpose. And I sort of define my terms because the, the, the word spiritual is a very slippery term. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah. let's go to that spiritual term because when I read The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, it, it catapulted me way back in the 80s into recognizing mm-hmm. that there is no way that I was going to live life by the definitions of limits. That's what your book did. Mm-hmm. And that wow. limit was, yeah. let's live beyond our body, let's live beyond our mind, let's live beyond our spirit, let's live beyond our cultural constraints, let's live beyond our genealogy. Talk about that last epilogue in your book in terms of how it says live beyond. What does that mean to you? Well, I think there's the yearning in every human heart for the transcendent. Um, Even as we address the duties and details of everyday life, and they they keep coming, um, even people very successful who have most everything they could want, sometimes they wake up 
and I'm sure you, some of your clients have said that there's got to be something more to life. And I believe there is. Um, each of us wants to understand at times cosmic questions. Well, fine. We're here on earth like ants. We're all on the surface of the earth. You know, I, I, I don't know if you heard the siren going by here in Brooklyn, New yeah. York, but that's daily yeah. life. And, and yeah. while we're here, we're wondering where the universe started, whether we're astronomers or not. We're wondering how did we come to be here and what's the point of it all? And those big questions sometimes uh, feel existential. We lose ourselves in them. They don't feel relevant, but to me, they're the most relevant thing of all because they help us understand our place in the universe. So, but in practical terms, there is also this level of the conventional level of life. We, you know, Ram Dass said it beautifully. He said, you can be lost in cosmic bliss and still be responsible for remembering your postal code. Or what I say is that we can live with our head in the clouds, but our feet on the ground. But both are important. And the ability mm -hmm. to, to bridge both worlds, the everyday world, function well here, handling what's in front of us, but also have a thread of attention and a connection to the transcendent gives us perspective in our lives. And I think that's what you were referring to in my first book. It was an introduction to the rest of my work, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. But people mm -hmm. did tell me that it, it helped remind them about life's higher purpose and promise. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to throw out a term here to you, Dan, because I really do feel that you embody this, and that's being able to move beyond extreme discouragement. So talk to us about life, the place of extreme discouragement in life and the process of getting away from extreme discouragement. Extreme discouragement. Yes, or self-doubt, extreme self-doubt, um, and some okay. of us feel it profoundly. You know, there was a saying, Custom Motto, a boxing coach, once said, heroes and cowards feel exactly the same fear. They just respond differently. And to me, that's a profound statement because many people feel fear. They feel self-doubt. They feel insecurity, and they think they're special, they're suffering more than other people, and they believe that because of those feelings, that somehow implies they can't do something uh, because they don't really understand process. They don't understand how everything is difficult until it becomes easy. In, in mm -hmm. a writing book I wrote with my daughter, we have a chapter saying, permit yourself to write badly so that later you can write well. To understand the idea that we, we work in layers, that the first draft of anything is terrible in writing. And in life mm -hmm. as well, many times we, we try something new and we're not very good at it. We run into hurdles and we think that means we don't have talent. But we may have considerable talent, we just may lack experience. Uh, you know, I sometimes tell the story about how I learned to ride a unicycle um, around my 60th birthday. That's what I wanted mm. to do for my 60th year. <laughs> and a friend, a friend of mine loaned me, well, he loaned me his unicycle. And if anybody out there has tried riding a unicycle, <laughs> it's very humbling, very humbling yes. indeed. But I, I worked on it for three weeks. The first week, I could careen forward for six pedals before it went out from under me. The second week, oh. 12 pedals. Um, and wow. there's a longer st version of this story, but I'm just going to say that by the end of the third week, every day coming back, um, struggling, um, by the end of the third week, I could ride on my unicycle figure eights around this tennis court where I was practicing. Um, wow. So the point, the point is I learned a lot. It was a good reminder about 
um, facing self-doubt because I absolutely doubted I could do it. Every day reinforce the idea, Dan, you're, there's no way you're going to be, it felt impossible. So that the point is, um, it's fine to feel doubt and then go do what you need to do. People think, oh, I have doubt or, oh, I can't do this, so I might as well quit. Why? Just feel the doubt and keep doing it. You know, there are two, one is I, I recommend to people, dream big, but start small and then connect mm-hmm. the dots. Uh, I've seen, you know, I used Beautiful. to fail 50 t- I used to fail 50 times a day in the gym. When I go into the gymnastics room, try a new move, I would crash and crash and crash and miss it and miss it and miss it. To me, that was just all part of the process. I kept missing Mm -hmm. until one day I I was able to do it. Um, Shoma Morita, a Japanese psychiatrist, once said, when running up a hill, it's okay to give up as many times as you want as long as your feet keep moving. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm not here to tell people how to feel differently. I don't know how to feel differently. As far as I've seen, feelings are the emotional weather patterns of the body. And I think it's important, Morita, the Dr. Morita said, uh, accept your feelings and thoughts as natural to you in the moment. But he also said, focus on a positive goal or purpose. And then the third guideline was do what needs to be done in line with your purpose. So in other words, as feelings come and go, we don't need to fix them, change them, correct them, or follow them. They come, we feel, we learn from them. But meanwhile, what is it we want to do? And you keep doing that. So what I cannot do is tell people not how to feel doubt. I feel doubt sometimes. I can't tell them how to feel confident all the time. I can suggest to focus more on what we have more control over than feelings and thoughts, which is what we actually do. And that's a whole different way of living, to actually find a purpose and move toward it and watch the doubts come and go, watch the insecurity come and go, and keep moving toward it. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. What are your thoughts about uh, when people say, you know, trust your feelings? And I, as a psychologist, I usually say, no, no, you, you don't trust your feelings. Your feelings are like water. They come and go. <laughs> they, they ebb and flow. But then what do you trust? Uh, in, intuition or and here you're talking about actions. Well, yes, because I do place a great action. You know, I think our lives are shaped. If we look at our lives, if we look at our past or what we've accomplished, it's largely been effort over time. That's the horse I'm betting on. So I do mm-hmm. place an emphasis on what we actually do. I think that's what's going to shape our life. Whereas many so-called new age teachings, it's all about fixing our mind, having only positive thoughts, and having feelings of confidence and courage and uh, happiness and love and peace. Um, and the, the approach I take is feelings do come and go, but that doesn't mean I devalue them or deny them. I think feelings can give us a lot of useful information. If we're, if we're feeling depressed or afraid every time we're around a particular person, there's something we need to do about that, not to ignore it or deny it. So uh, I, I'm, I value emotions. Uh, I treat my emotions the way I treated my daughters when they were little. I honored them, listened to them, cherished them, but I didn't let them take over and run the household. Well, that's not entirely true in the case of my daughter. <laughs> um, oh, no, do you, do you have one of them sitting there right there? <laughs> well, not, not far away. <laughs> okay. um, of course, now I have grandkids, you know. Um, so, oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, um, again, people, many of people are very confused about trying to fix their thoughts and feelings 
but I think if we just focus on what we do over time, the Chinese have a wonderful saying that you can level a mountain with a spoon with enough time. And if we just approach approach what what our goals are in life, our purposes, patiently, um, with a realistic approach, uh, not too high or low expectations, uh, but just find out what will happen and just continue doing it. I never thought I'd be a world champion and on the trampoline, but I, I didn't believe I wouldn't either. I just kept doing it. Let's see what happens. That was my approach. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, no, keep going. Your train of thought. Go ahead. Well, I don't know if, if I really responded to the question. Oh, yes, you absolutely did. Now, I you did. know, the book, okay. the book, The Four Purposes of Life by Dan Millman, we all get this wonderful privilege to listen to Dan Millman, folks. Please look into The Four Purposes of Life. It's available anywhere you can find a book. He, You say, Dan, uh, very quickly into the book, that Socrates, an old service station mechanic in your way of peaceful warrior, advised you to take happiness and replace it with unreasonable happiness. And then at the end of your book, you're talking about the sense of transcendent, that amazing euphoric transcendent feeling. So on this continuum of life and on this continuum of finding purposes in life, where does happiness and transcendence and uh, that feeling of well-being fit into the scheme now that we're talking about emotions and its and its place in life? Sure. Well, I think uh, I have a different understanding of happiness than I used to. To me, there were I, I knew what happiness was because many times I felt all kinds of different happiness, just as we feel different kinds of love. Um, if I had an ice cream cone on a hot day, I was happy for a little while. Mmm, licking that ice cream cone was so good. Um, many things made me temporarily happy. But as most of us have noticed, it's a passing feeling. Um, somebody came up to me after a seminar once and said, Dan, I feel so inspired. I said, don't worry, it'll pass. <laughs> and the same thing happened with... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, inspiration and motivation comes and goes, as does happiness. Sometimes we feel more happy, sometimes we feel other things. So um, what Socrates said, he pointed out that there are many, many good reasons to feel unhappy. It's easy to find reasons to feel unhappy. Read the newspapers. Look at the troubles in the world. Look at what we haven't accomplished yet or the difficulties each of us is facing with our physical bodies or relationships or careers or money. We all have something. So there are a lot of good reasons to be unhappy. And there are not a lot of mental reasons to feel happy. We can't just draw on a reason and say, okay, I should feel happy. That's why he recommended unreasonable happiness. But he was not recommending that we try to feel happy because we have – nobody can feel differently from the way they feel. They, we feel whatever we're feeling in a given moment. But it will pass because emotions do. So what he meant was happiness as an action, as a behavior to radiate to other people. We know what it feels like to be happy. We know how we behave when we're feeling happy. We behave expansively, kindly, thoughtfully. We're more engaged with life. Our eyes look different. So it, there's, mm-hmm. it's, kind of a, it's kind of a fake it till you make it feeling. We know that if we smile when we're around people, they tend to smile back. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the most controversial things uh, that I've taught 
and I also bring it up in the four purposes of life, is that I don't recommend to people that they feel loving, compassionate, happy, kind, peaceful, confident, or courageous. I recommend that they behave that way. And when people listen to that, they go, wait a minute, Dan, that sounds kind of fake. Supposed to behave differently from the way I'm feeling? Well, the example I give is what if you were, um, you saw someone being, someone injured or a car was coming, racing toward them and they didn't see, and you were feeling afraid, but you ran out, grabbed them and pulled them to safety. Now that was behaving differently from the way you were feeling. You were afraid, but you behaved with courage. To me, that is a virtue. And it's, it's a virtue to feel angry and behave with kindness. It's a virtue to feel uh, insecure and behave with confidence. To me, this is what life is teaching us. That is what creates a solid foundation for life, to learn to behave in line with our highest ideals, not wait for the right feeling or permission. Wow. Wow. Okay. So now in order to be able to do life the way you're talking about it, there's got to be this set of energies that, I'm going to borrow the word from your book, that amplify one's capacity to do life in these ways. And many people would use their emotions as an energy or as a way of kind of coalescing themselves around the doing. But you have in your book not only 12 different ways of approaching your very first section about the process of engaging life as a school, but how to amplify energy so that you can enter into life with all of its activities. Do you want to explore some of those ways of amplifying energy? Well, sure. Um, And of (laughs) of course, it's preferable to feel motivated, uh, I would love to feel confident all the time. I would love, but let me read you a quote. And I believe I have this uh, in The Four Purposes of Life. I've written it elsewhere too. But it's a really good reminder, I think. And, and here's the brief quote. To progress toward our goals um, and to reach toward our dreams, we need to choose one of two methods. The first method Uh, is quite popular. Uh, The second method is the one I would recommend as being the most realistic. And and here it comes. The first approach to progress toward our goals is to find a way to quiet our mind, create empowering beliefs, raise our self-esteem and practice positive self-talk, to find our focus, affirm our power, to free our emotions and visualize positive outcomes so that we can develop the confidence to generate the courage, to find the determination, to make the commitment, to feel sufficiently motivated to do whatever it is we need to do. Phew. The second method, which I recommend, yeah, it's very popular. There are all those things. Oh, yeah. But the second method I recommend is we can just do it. Because life is always going to come down to that. Yes, it's easier to do something when we feel motivated and excited and inspired. It's easier to do something when we feel confident. But there is a great liberation. uh, And it's really the key to what I call the peaceful warrior's way. And that's all of us, by the way. Every one of us is a peaceful warrior in training because we're all seeking to live with a peaceful heart. But there are times we need a warrior's spirit. 
And what that warrior spirit enables us to do is to take out the trash when we're not motivated, to say a kind word to someone when we don't really feel like it. That's overcoming our tendencies. So it's not about how we can energize ourselves to feel the commitment to do all those steps in order to do what we need to do. We either do it or we don't. I mean, when we brush our teeth at night, we don't always feel like it, but we know it's good for us. We've developed a routine, a positive habit to help clean our teeth and help our health. So in the same way we do that or take out the trash um, each day or week, we can do whatever it is, but that's why I say dream big but start small. In small ways, that's the key to turning what we know into what we actually do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan, it's interesting because, you know, I've read half of your books, I guess. <laughs> now that I know that you have 17, oh, goodness. I've read <laughs> half of your books. And the ones that have mm-hmm. a very fictional base to it, uh, and, and I never yeah. quite know what is fictional and what is historic. But, um, mm-hmm. it, but what, when it, it's the fictional or the the amazing aspects of those books that seem to uh, energize the first uh, the first part of your quote, that empowering set of beliefs, the envisioning that you can do it, the, the taking yourself outside of your small thinking into the bigger imagining. Uh, it, it, so I'm wondering what degree your, your your fictional books are all about that kind of kicking you in the butt and getting going so that you feel like, well, if I do it, this could really turn out quite amazing. Uh, what do you think about looking at your own writings in that fashion? Well, historically, I mean, looking back, uh, my first book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, it's subtitled a book that changes lives. wasn't my subtitle. My publisher put it in when the paperback came out because so many people had written me saying the same thing. This book changed my life. Yes. I'm still hearing it today. Um, yeah. And I think, and I've always wondered, how did it do that? How did it lend that perspective to people? And you're right. The story, you know, it started out as a nonfiction book. I just was describing in my the second to last draft of the book that I met this old guy in a gas station. Here's what I learned from him. And then it was like a straight nonfiction book, uh, Guidelines for Living. But then my editor said, well, I'd like to know more about this old guy. And it turned into a story mm-hmm. based on my life. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, just as there's a thing called chelation in vitamins. When people take vitamins, mm-hmm. certain vitamins are chelated, which helps us to absorb the vitamins and make better use of them. Um, otherwise, they can just, you know, go right through us. So in the mm-hmm. same way, I think couching a lessons in a story can, we can, that we can relate to and identify with, it helps. And I didn't really know all that, but instinctively I said, maybe I can share my story and what I learned and it will help people and they can relate to it. And it turned out that it worked quite well. Um, oh, yeah. And I wrote, I, I wrote a second, I didn't write another book for 10 years because I thought that had, I said what I had to say, but 10 years later I met some new mentors and had new experiences and insights. And then I was, I wrote a book almost every year after that for quite a few mm-hmm. years. Um, and the second book was also a story called sacred journey of the peaceful warrior about meeting a woman teacher in Hawaii and so on um, in a rainforest. But then people started saying, Dan, I was inspired by your first two books. How do you apply this stuff to everyday life? Mm -hmm. 
well, that's, but I, I had so much to share that I couldn't put it all in a story. So I wrote a nonfiction book called No Ordinary Moments, uh, A Peaceful Warrior's Guide to Daily Life. So that book, many people, is still one of their favorites. It's one of my core teaching books. Um, and then I went on and, and I, I haven't written a lot of stories because there was so much specific information to convey in my books. But I agree it is a way for people to relate to on a human level. It's not some, uh, somebody preaching from above, point one, point two, like a PowerPoint presentation. It's really getting into the heart of life and the guts of life, what we're all actually dealing with. And that, that's what I wanted to convey in my first book. Um, but the four purposes of life helps put all that in context of what are we really doing here? And, and that's, that's why I felt it was uh, another valuable contribution. I've never written a book just to have another book out. Each one has to justify itself. And I feel really good personally about the four purposes of life. Oh, and well, you should. It, it, it is it, it is like a little guidebook that it, it, it contains so much, like your first section, which is all about life being your school. It breaks things down into those 12 subdivisions, et cetera. And readers, please do get the four purposes of life because you'll be able to digest it and work it through and, and walk with it in a very pragmatic but uplifting way. And so, Dan, you in the four purposes of life see life itself as an amazing school. And it reminds me when Greg Braden mentioned that you would have these vision quests. People would go away or the Egyptians would go inside this all-black glass interior to see things about life to have these mystical and moving moments um, but basically said that we no longer need that because every single second of the day is a vision quest and I think you capture that same idea but on a very wholesome level as well as a, 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 an elevated level you wouldn't go into that in more detail well yes I'd love to do that thanks for the question um, <laughs> You know, there there are some. There's a great uh, TV series called Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astronomer and astrophysicist. Uh, it's, sure. it, it opens your eyes. It has jaw-dropping moments um, because yeah. it reminds us of the bigger the universe. And it's, it it wouldn't be described as spiritual, but it certainly has a lot of spirit to it to understand that. Um, and somehow, when we come back to our everyday life, we come back with new resources. Um, and people ask me, uh, they, they use the term spiritual, but I don't know what that means anymore because everywhere I look, I see spirit. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. um, and that's why I wrote No Ordinary Moments. Uh, there are no ordinary moments. Um, so I think the numinous, uh, the, the idea is to interpenetrate uh, everyday life, the conventional and the transcendental. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, that's what I set out to do in the book. So it's not about waiting to be inspired in life. We can bring that inspiration uh, to other people in little ways. Often I make a, a, a big emphasis on little things we can do that can make a big difference, such as when I go into a new city. I just got back from Costa Rica yesterday, and um, I'll, be going to, I'll be going to London in two weeks and then Basel, Switzerland. I travel a lot. And when I go to a city, if I happen to see some litter on the ground, um, I don't become the garbage man, but I'll pick it up and drop it in a trash can. And I can't know the impact of my words, but I do know that when I leave a city, it's going to be a little bit cleaner. 
These are <laughs> these are little little things that can make a difference. Um, saying a kind word to someone. Um, that there's even a method to resonate someone else's heart. They don't even know what's happening, but they they feel their heart in a very positive way. Um, using our voice and connecting our own voice to our heart when we speak can resonate the hearts of others. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not a technique so much as a, a remembrance. You know, if you take two guitars and you pluck the E string on one guitar and there's another guitar sitting next to it, the E string on that other guitar will start to resonate and vibrate as well, or harmonic resonance. And so the voice works the same way. If we speak from our mind, it resonates the mind of the person we're speaking with. But if we speak from our heart, it makes a big difference. So doing little things like this, they're not difficult, they're not esoteric, but they make a difference in life and they can help us live a more inspired life. Just doing these kinds of little things in the midst of daily life, because that's the arena of the peaceful warrior. It's not in an ashram necessarily or sitting in a corner meditating. It's in the throes of everyday life. Mm, beautifully said. So in the throes of everyday life, you have some techniques like this, like the resonating heart and speaking from the heart to connect and move in coherence with someone else and with yourself. You have some other tricks, like speaking to the Socrates inside, exercise routines, um, finding the, the purpose of your life through numerology. Can you speak to any of those so that the people can walk away with this, this list, not only to read your book, Four Purposes of Life, but, okay, I can do these little things every minute of the day. Of course, of course. Um, yes, let me give a mystical technique that actually works, and then I'll tell you why I don't do it and why I don't teach a lot of techniques. I used to have techniques coming out of my ears. Boy, did I live decades studying <laughs> every kind of techniques working with the subconscious yes. and all kinds of tech, but I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to share this with your, with your listeners. Um, it's called the flame, the flame meditation. And in, in the mystical traditions, thoughts are considered things, actual uh, dark spots floating in the field of literally in our field of awareness around our body. Some call it the aura, but we do have a bioenergy field. That's subjective fact, just like the earth has a bioenergy field around it and so in this mystical practice because there are these there are these dark thought forms these spots kind of uh, muddying our energy field often they come as regrets anxieties uh, preoccupations and troubles and there uh, people go and, and you know they obviously work with people to talk about the, the issues and problems there is a way to clean our energy field to clean these from our awareness so we're no longer tr as troubled or troubled by them and here is the technique you light a candle flame you can't just imagine it it needs to be a real flame a candle flame and just about 12 inches in front of your face you sit quietly uh, in a quiet space and you gaze directly into the flame uh, in a state of reverie, and you just imagine or feel those dark spots being sucked out of the energy field up into the ethers by that flame. It's the archetypal image of purification. Now, 
when, when a listener hears this, they may go, that sounds kind of far out, Dan. You're saying if I'm worried or have regrets or concerns or troubles, that all I have to do is gaze into a flame and after a little while, after a minute or two minutes or five minutes, it just won't bother me as much? That sounds a little crazy. And you know what? The thing is, it works. And not only that, all of the, your listeners have done it. All of your listeners. How can I know this? <laughs> who, ha- who hasn't gazed into a fireplace or a campfire, mm-hmm. and found the primal pleasure in doing that. Most yes. people love that feeling of gazing into a flame, and they go into this state of relaxation and ease. Now, actually works that technique. Your listeners can try it. However, why don't I teach this technique widely? Because what are we going to do? Walk through daily life with a candle in our pocket in case we have a worry? <laughs> it gets a little silly after a while. Are we going to flick our big lighter every time we have a concern or trouble? No. That's why techniques can be something that kind of take us out of life instead of embracing life as it comes. So that's why I don't. But yes, when you say I have tricks or tips I do have reminders. That's all any teacher can do is to offer reminders about what we, all of us, know at deeper levels, but we tend to forget. So what I offer is reminders and perspectives and occasional practical things we can do. For example, I teach a four-minute workout that I call mm-hmm. the Peaceful Warrior Workout, which I've done every day for the last um, a little over three decades now. Every day. Because it can be done in less than four minutes. It's practical. It's based on the principle a little of something is better than a lot of nothing. Yeah. So it's a good so that's an example of some things we can actually do and integrate into our life. When my new book comes out, The Hidden School, I'm going to be uh, starting to teach a four minute meditation, a very powerful meditation to help us appreciate our everyday life. Hmm. But again, you, you see I like can- simple Go ahead. How do you think that we can find our own internal wisdom to our own techniques? Um, you you have this idea about talking to our inner self or to the Socrates inside. How do each of us come to grips with our own internal master? I mean, you do, you address this very powerfully in some of your books and in your book, the the Four Purposes of Life. So that none of us are really left without our own sage, so to speak, even if we are alone. Uh, I would agree, and, and I, that's great that you brought it up. Uh, each of us does have an inner knower, a sense of discernment, but we've gotten out of touch with it because we've gotten so used to trusting experts. We hear on the television or radio, like me right now. Um, I advise people, always check out what you hear from me or anyone else against your inner knower. One of the fundamental tenets of this approach to living that I teach is that there is no best teacher, book, philosophy, religion, diet, system of exercise, or anything else. There is only the best for each individual at a given time of our life. Life is an experiment. We have to find out what best serves us, and we are unique in many ways, so we have to find out what helps us. And because of that, um, it brings us back to ourselves. For example, a doctor may be an expert on health and healing and different uh, drugs and medications and diagnoses, but I'm the expert on my own body. Nobody can know exactly what I'm feeling. So we have to start trusting our inner knower. 
um, and our inner wisdom. And uh, I can only say those words, but it can take some time because so many people, they would rather trust a so-called expert who will advise them on how to live. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I can offer reminders, but I often, uh, when someone says, but can you summarize all of this? And I say, trust that wherever you step, the path is going to appear. We can't really be lost, even though it may feel like it sometimes. Um, and I turn people back. When people ask me questions at seminars, I often say, hmm, interesting question. What do you think? I turn it back on them, and they often sure. they often come back with a good answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why I just offer reminders of what people already know at deeper levels. I'm like a yellow highlighter in the book book of wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's not well my wisdom. Said, yeah. It's universal. It's the perennial wisdom. Alan Watts, many other writers used to refer to the, uh, and Aldous Huxley, the perennial philosophy. Uh, It's all there. We know how to live. For example, I often ask people to raise your hand if you know it's good to do regular, moderate exercise almost every day. All the hands go up. Everybody. Nobody's slapping their forehead going, who knew? You know? Um, And then when I ask people, (laughs) when I ask people, um, how many of you actually do regular moderate exercise almost every day? Many hands go up, but not as many. And then I, I offer some advice uh, to those people who know it's good to do, but they just haven't gotten themselves to do it. And that's when I show them some ways to turn what they know into what they actually do. I've already hinted at it, which is to start small. If people ask me, Dan, I've heard it's good to meditate for relaxation, release of stress, creativity, but, you know, I just haven't made the time. I tell them, well, follow my model. I meditate every single day for at least 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. And everybody laughs because they go, come on, Dan, 15 seconds. That can't do anything. But it's significant because I do it every day. And that's a good start. It might end up 30 seconds or a minute. Or five minutes one day. It might feel good, but it gets your foot in the door. That's why I say start small and then connect the dots. Hmm. Beautifully, beautifully said. All right. In your in your book, The Four Purposes of Life, Dan, you also are really good at trying to find the different phases of life, finding finding a career versus at the end of a career. I hear feedback of myself in the background there. I don't know if you can turn me down or not. <laughs> ah, there we go. <laughs> okay, thank you. Oh, okay. So, so I'm going to say a certain age, Dan, and I'd love to hear the wisdom you gleaned at that age, some, some self-reflection from you. So at the age of between 20 and 30, what, what, what did the sages speak to you from the interior of your heart? from the ages of 20 to 30, that felt like, wow, that's a lesson of that time era. Well, I was both wise and naive when I was uh, when I was 20. I was married when I was 21, had a daughter when I was 22. Um, and by the time I was 30, um, I was divorced from my first wife, and I was together with the love of my life. We just had our 40th anniversary. Life oh, okay. changes. And- 
And so I, the reason I say I was both wise and clueless is because I had been training in martial arts and sport and gymnastics for uh, at least about a decade by that time, by the time I was 20. And like many athletes, I learned great wisdom about life, about the importance of process and patience, one step at a time. Um, I learned about uh, the importance of living in the present moment and how to access that zone, um, that focus on the here and now. I learned all that, but I didn't know I knew it because I was so focused on routines and winning and points and scores and competitions. So many athletes don't know what they've actually learned. There's, an, there's a saying, a proverb, I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. So on some level, I understood uh, much from my training. But it was, wasn't until my 30s, having 10 years to process, out of college, to process and the lessons of life, of relationships, of seeking a career, and many of that eventually contributed to the four purposes of life. So, yes, I, looking back on my life, I had my own unique lessons, but I don't, in some ways, um, they were patterned after what many people learn between their 20s and 30s about finding out about who they are, uh, and self-knowledge. Uh, so that that's what I would say about that particular decade. So if you were to take who you are now and say to your 45-year-old self, this is the wisdom I wish I had at 45. Oh, my goodness, if I had known this at 45. I know we don't want to have a path uh, of regrets here, but we can, we can look back and maybe give some wisdom in yeah. that regard. Sure. If I could speak to my younger self, I would have said, wear more sunscreen when you're out in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's too droll. Okay. <laughs> I, I would have. I well, that's pretty important. I would have said, um, I would have said, um, go a little slower. Don't pound your body so much just for ambition, and always focus on what you could do to keep the body in line and not and have healthy joints. Young people don't even think about that. They they pound their bodies. Many of them, young. I know young men. I see doing parkour leaping off things and landing on their ankles very hard. So I would have said, uh, look to the long run. People don't think ahead. I would have also um, told myself, my younger self, um, you have an influence over other people. Whether you realize it or not, people are paying attention. Uh, Albert Schweitzer once said, in influencing other people, example is not the main thing. It's the only thing. In other words, um, our peers, our families are actually looking to us. What we say has an impact. Many times we undersell that. We don't realize uh, the example we give to other people that we can raise the bar or lower it in terms of standards. So I guess I would look back uh, on myself, my younger self at 45. Now, I'm turning, I'm turning 70 in, uh, in two weeks. Oh, and congratulations. So had, oh. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, starting the seventh decade. Um, still do handstands and somersaults on the trampoline and so on. So I managed, you know, Wonderful. to still plugging along. I'm aging, but I'm trying to age as gracefully as possible, as, as are mm -hmm. we all. So, but, you know, mm -hmm. since you've made me more reflective about these times, I have more life to look back on than look forward to. That's objective. Um, mm -hmm. 
uh, unless I live to 140, which, you know, we'll see. Um, not so likely, but that's another whole other topic. Um, okay. So, yes, it is a time <laughs> to look back and reflect uh, on the different things I had learned when I was younger. Uh, but what I'm so impressed with today, I meet people who are 20-somethings. I meet teenagers and young 20s who are so far ahead of where I was at that age. Mm -hmm. uh, people are learning faster. Things are accelerating today yeah. and mm -hmm. much more sophisticated. Um, so it's it's going to be very interesting uh, the coming times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, One thing that I'm very impressed about the way of the Peaceful Warrior is that you go on YouTube and you look at the people who review the book and they're talking about how it's changed their life. And it crosses the generations, it's the decalogues along the way. You have addressed things inside of every human being at every age level. Yes, I, I'm I'm delighted over that, that uh, uh, young people hand the book to their parents, parents hand it to the kids. In fact, many clinical yes. psychotherapists hand it to their clients uh, if oh, they I'm, think the client needs it. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. so that's fantastic. I mean, I never wrote strategically. I, I thought a few college students might like the book. I had no idea of the impact, none. Uh, I was just hoping that you know people enjoyed it. I worked I worked hard on writing it, but it it just I, I don't actually take credit for it. it. Came from my life experience. I wrote it with a pure sense, um, and yeah, it had quite a good impact. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and you're still having an impact. And here's four purposes of life. In your in your discovering your life path section of your book, you started with Carl Jung saying, "The shoe that fits one person pinches another." I love that phrase. So that <laughs> finding your own finding your own life path, how very beautiful! You're gonna you know fit yourself with your own shoe, and every developmental stage that shoe's gonna shift. So again, yeah. if I were to ask your your here you are, Dan Millman. I'm interviewing you 20 years in the future. You're 100 years old. What would you, uh, 30 years, uh, what would you say to your 70-year-old self that you wish you had known? Well, you young whippersnapper, I would say. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard. Huh? Yeah, that's pretty hard, projecting myself at 100 and what I would say. Um, I would, I'll tell you what I would like to say. I would like to say you did okay. You know, you managed wow. to function well in life because, you know, functioning well in life, getting things done may not sound too spiritual or sexy, but I'll tell you when we function well and we actually get things done day to day and accomplish uh, according to our goals, uh, we're more likely to live a fulfilled and satisfying life than not functioning. Socrates used to tell me it's better to do what you need to do than not to do it and have a good excuse. Yep. And I think that that's true. So I might look back and I'd like to be able to look back at a hundred and say, well, you know, y you did a good job. And not because I'm an author or a speaker, that's just the destiny and the fate. So I happen to be in this role, but believe me, I've been in a lot other roles. Uh, as I mentioned earlier on, I, 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 I've struggled, I've doubted, I've, I've wondered what I was going to do with my life. People used to say when I was in my uh, 20s, what's Dan doing this week? Because I was always changing, um, 
my conversations with my now wife um, back then, we'd go for walks and it would be, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So it's not as if I'm pretending I had my life all together and I was one of those special people. I'm not. That's why I've been effective as a, as a teacher and, a, and, a, and an author because I'm, I'm everybody. Uh, I don't set myself apart in any way. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean I'm humble. Because I read a quotation by Golda Meir. She said, don't be so humble. You're not that great. (laughs) (laughs) So it made a lot of sense. You know, I stopped being so humble. Yeah. But that's what I would say in response to that interesting question. So here's another question I had. You know, I read The Life You Were Born to Live, and then it was refreshed when you talked about the life purpose system in your book, Mm -hmm. The Four Purposes of Life. And, and and I I have a similar reaction to you. How in the world can this be scientifically based? And yet, right. when I took all my loved ones, including myself, through your life purpose system, which is on your website, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I was I was amazed. I said, "Oh my goodness, that is so me!" Or, "Oh my goodness, that's so whomever it was I was looking at." Uh, but how in the world can that life purpose system have anything to do with who I am at sixty, or you at seventy, or someone else at fifteen? Right. What is your thought about that? That's kind of perplexing to me. So I thought I was going to ask Dan, why not? (laughs) I'd be delighted. Well, first of all, Carol, yeah, the third purpose in the four purposes of life about finding our life path um, is the most mysterious. It's more transrational because there is no rational way to give a theory or explain how our date of birth and looking at that in a particular way could give valid, reliable, accurate information about some of the core issues of our life, our inner drives, hidden gifts we may not have fully appreciated, and hurdles we're here to overcome. Um, I can't explain it, but I do know after working with it for over 30 years, it is quite accurate, uncannily so. And uh, your listeners are free to just go to my website, peacefulwarrior.com, They'll see a link on the left, Life Purpose, it says. Just click on that. They'll go to a Life Purpose calculator. They just put in their date of birth, and they'll see a number. Now, the number won't mean too much, but the number, the digits have words associated with them. One is creativity, two is cooperation, and so on. And then there's a paragraph, just a teaser, a taste about the, describing in a general way some of the core issues of our life path. And the way I would explain it is if I were to point to a tree outside, chances are there's not a single tree on the planet exactly like that tree um, in terms of every, the angle of every branch and leaf. However, so in, in that way, each of us is unique. We're like that tree. Nobody is alike. We all have our own life experience, genetics, and many, many, many factors that make us a unique individual. However, I can say things that do apply to redwood trees that are different from birches or aspens or oaks. And in that way, each of us is working a pattern. There are 43 life, uh, 43 life paths, separate life paths for people born since 1900. That would you divide 43 into the population of the planet and you get millions of people working each life path and they do all fit into that pattern. However, each of them is working it slightly differently. So we're more than a number. It's not a caricature. Um, however, it 
gives really valid and useful insight into ourselves and our lives. That's why it became the, the third purpose of the four purposes of life. And I go into it in more depth, how I discovered this system and so on in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very fascinating. I'd recommend it's thought-provoking at the very least, and I'm just glad you yes, included yes. that. Sure. You know, another another question that I had when I was reading the four purposes of life is, is I was wondering where in your system was energy healing or the energy fields or the, that aspect of 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 current medical and non medical sciences of healing, and the reason I bring that up is that it seems that one of our powers is the capacity to move ourselves into greater health. Uh, our, our greater functioning, greater doing, and so forth and so on. And I was a little curious as to why you didn't include that, because I know there's many references to it in all of your other books. What do you think well, about I use, I use, Yeah, I use energy as a metaphor, uh, since we know everything is energy. We know what appears to be solid is actually made up of atoms, molecules, and atoms. And atoms are mostly empty space. Uh, They're a field of energy, uh, electrons whirling around a a proton in, in the nucleus. So most of life is space and energy, so I think it's quite an important topic. However, it's not a specialty area of mine. I refer to it in a metaphorical way, and there are other teachers and other books that deal with this uh, working with energy. Certainly Tai Chi books, someone who works with chi, or they call it ki in the Japanese martial arts, um, this flow of energy in the body. It's a fascinating topic. It's just not one I claim. Uh, I know about as much about that as I do about plumbing or electronics. Um, I, I don't know everything, so that's not something I address. But I do tell people practical things like, well, yeah, energy is one way to approach health. Another is to uh, get regular moderate exercise, eat a balanced diet, and get enough rest. So I try to address uh, ways people can get a handle on immediately. Uh, they can start to make an improvement in their health by focusing on those, that, that trinity of health. Uh, exercise, mm-hmm. balanced diet, and eating enough. And there's more to say about those specific topics and getting enough rest. Um, but, yeah, so I, I really don't have a lot to say at this point in my life. Maybe that's going to be a future uh, area of exploration. Uh, yeah, so that's you what know, I would say about energy. I understand. And, then I under, and I kind of got that feel, except for, Dan, I think you are the embodiment of someone who lives with this energy on all sorts of different levels, not only the physical, which you just mentioned in the yeah, Trinity, sure. not sure. only the mental, because you're obviously very mentally engaged. You read books, you talk uh-huh. to people, you write. You're you're yeah. you're all about you know putting things into words that are about the greater lessons that you're learning deep inside your soul. So you kind of embody energy work itself, almost as if you know it, you do it. Whether or not you've read it or researched it is another thing. So this energy in you, what do you think are the core powers that you tap into when you're feeling energy drain that you move into that suddenly or slowly gives you this depth, this tapping into a great stream of life? Well, in the time we have left, let me tell a quick story. A man was seeking energy, more energy in his life for years, trying different foods and so on. But finally, he climbed a sacred mountain and he stood at the top and he reached up to the heavens and said, fill me full of energy and light. I'm waiting. I'm ready. And sure enough, the clouds parted and a voice thundered down from the heavens. I'm always filling you, but you keep leaking. 
And so what I can help people, I, I think energy, I, we swim in a sea of energy. I think it's all around us. We can access it when we have a purpose. Most people know when they're really working and moving toward a purpose, a meaningful purpose, they feel enough energy to get there. Whether they feel energetic all the time. But, so I think living on purpose is an important part of feeling more energy but to plug up those leaks well that's a whole other seminar but it has to do with remembering to breathe like a pendulum fully during the day and not hold our breath unconsciously and the second thing is learning to relax the body and not carry extra tension that that helps plug two major leaks of energy and start to manifest the energy and and embody it that's all around us that we that breathes us and lives us every day Beautifully said. Dan Millman, we are at the end of this wonderful hour. Thank you so much. Everybody, do pick up The Four Purposes of Life and his 16 other books. What are your last words to each of us as we start the rest of our day? Well, I've got bad news and good news. The bad news is there are actually no keys to the universe. The good news <laughs> is somebody somebody left it unlocked. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Everybody, Carol. yes, you're a wonderful person to have talked to. Thank you so much for helping us live and breathe and think outside the box. Everybody, been talking to Dan Millman. Do engage yourself and understanding and thinking the things that he's explored and so well articulated for the rest of us to embrace. Cheers to all. Thank you, Dan. Bye. <laughs> 